0: Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark.
1: Hello, hello. It's Brendan here with Mark. We are the Vet Gurus, vetgurus at gmail.com. It is the week End in the twelfth of October, Mark. Gee, it's getting close to the end of the year. Now, you must tell me, Mark, now for our listeners, a little secret. The last couple of ep- episodes were actually recorded a while ago because Mark's been on a, a bit of a bit of a holiday, haven't you, Mark? Although you you were in an interesting region of the world. So tell us the story. And I was a bit worried about you there, Mark. As you know, I was sending you messages by all means to see if you were okay because you were near the region where Sulawesi is where there was the horrible earthquake and the tsunami which they're really struggling to deal with so yeah what is the story mark
0: well we were very lucky Brendan we as you know we went on safari we went um on a diving holiday to a wonderful dive site, an island group of islands uh, known collectively as Wakatobi. Um, that's very, the way down at the um, southeastern corner of Sulawesi. Um, and uh, after we've been there a couple of days, um, we, we actually were um, only intermittently available online. The connection there is fairly. Um, uh, Average, and so we didn't know ourselves what had happened, but it um but it did become apparent after mm-hmm. Kate's father was on the phone uh, to Dfat trying to figure out whether we were okay that something serious had happened, um and uh, we became aware of the earthquake. Fortunately for us, but um, unfortunately for the people uh, at Palu, um, we were seven hundred and thirty kilometers away on the other side of the. Um, island. We didn't even feel the tremor. There were some strange currents about for a day or two after while we were diving, but um, nothing that uh, interfered with our enjoyment of the open ocean. And the only thing that upset us was to see the devastation that had occurred um, in Indonesia. Interestingly enough, um, at um, Palau, the um, the Indonesians at, uh, that we were speaking to were quite upset because um, the uh, earthquake, uh, the tsunami warning system that uh, was installed after a major quake about two thousand and four, was uh, was um, was stopped running in two thousand. Non-functional.
1: Yeah. yeah, apparently they they um, it was funded initially, but um, I think some of the funding ran out, and they weren't maintaining the. The boys um, or the buoys, as the Americans would say, um, that would record the tidal um, efforts and that. So um, yeah, so they were still out there the monitoring equipment, but they hadn't maintained them, so they weren't working, which was which was sad. So oh, so Mark, a lot just of
0: anger on the ground about that, Brendan. A lot. So of so
1: Mark, what what? Um, so basically, you were on the same island? You were on the island of central Sulawesi or not?
0: We were on um, the edge of southeastern Sulawesi. We're away from central. Sulawesi is a big island. Um, It's uh, about the same size as New South Wales if my um, uh, estimation. It might even be a touch bigger from north to south, um, and so we were a long way away from the danger area.
1: Um, but- and you didn't fly in or out near near where all the all the devastation was. No,
0: fortunately not. Um, but then, you know, only ten days later,
1: the volcano in north um,
0: central Sulawesi um, started rumbling, and they had emergency arrangements to get people out of the area. Kate's mum was. Get off that island as quickly as you can.
1: Yes, yes. Now it's it was sad watching all the all the footage we had um, here while you're away, Mark, and I'm not sure um, they're still struggling with the infrastructure that's been um, getting that back up and and going again. So, but having said all of that, I mean, it's sad, sad, and so devastating for those people there. You need to also. Tell me a bit of positives. Tell me about your dive in. Um.
0: Well, it almost feels a little bit guilty to tell you yes. because <laughs> on many levels it, it was just an excellent experience. The location in that area is a national park. It was um, – it's one of its claims to fame was that in the 19 – I think late 1970s, maybe yeah, in the late 1970s, Jacques Cousteau called it the – uh, most beautiful tropical reef he had seen anywhere in the world and he has seen them all brendan so that's some uh some recommendation um and, and i can well know uh cousteau like experience i would uh, have um, i have seen a few tropical reefs in my time and um and certainly this was uh up there amongst the very best of them pristine and diverse full of different species and probably more species than i'd seen anywhere else so um and they're, they're very approachable we're able to find you know pygmy seahorses and um pipe pipe fish and yeah it was it was a an amazing experience all around
1: great and i did see some of the underwater f- pics you've taken mark and they yeah they were excellent and I was extremely jealous. I must admit I was extremely jealous, but great to hear that you had a good time and you're safe and you're back and you're ready to go with the podcast. So we need to announce, Mark, that we keep saying we will announce our winner of our 50th episode competition for, so for our new listeners. we decided to have a bit of a giveaway for our 50th um, episode and we are now up to this. is episode 52, Mark, and we promise that we will announce the winner, which will be drawn out of a some sort of receptacle that I will make um, next week, Mark, and I'll draw it out live on air, um, is um, the winner will be next week. So to enter the competition, it's free. All you need to do is send us an email to vetgurus at gmail.com just to say hello where you're from, and um, talk about um, you know, tell us a little veterinary story if you like. But um, all you need to do is send an email, and you are in the competition. And speaking of new listeners, Mark, I this week I, I spent um, a whole day at uh, Melbourne University uh, talking or teaching or or, or chatting to the um, first year DVM students. So hello to them because i did plug the podcast during the lectures and um uh, we've had a few sign up already um and they were a really good group um so we had a we had a few laughs and i told a few silly stories as you know i'm prone to doing mark it was um it was a subject on uh, introduction to the different industries that veterinarians um work within and um the industries that i was chatting about was uh, the wildlife industry, um, zoos and aquaria, and the unusual pet industry, and also bees, Mark. One of our favourite topics, the bee industry and the veterinarian's role and some of the issues regarding bees. So it was good fun, and I told a few interesting, funny um client, true but funny client stories and... Um, gave away a few um, little little prizes to try and keep them awake as well at the end of the day. But unfortunately, um, most of them, if not all, stayed awake. So hello to all the first year DVM um, Melbourne University students. So you can enter the competition too and potentially win, win uh, our amazing prize pack, which we haven't quite finalised, um, vetgurus at gmail.com. And before we um, Get on to um, our news articles, Mark. I just wanted to say hello to one of the people that did send us a nice little email, and we'll slowly work through most of them. Um, we've we've got a bit of a backlog now, and that was um, Serena um, from um, who's who's a third year vet student at Massey University. So hello in in. Um, in New Zealand hello Serena she was born and bred in Malaysia and went to New Zealand in 2016 to pursue her education in veterinary medicine and she's loving every second of it and uh, a friend recommended our podcast to her Mark and she's just started with the first few episodes and she's addicted Mark she's addicted so she sent us a nice um long email and we chatted about a few other things here. So hi Serena and we'll um, try and say hello to some of the other people that have sent us emails over the next, next few weeks or every week we'll try and say hi to a few people Mark. So yeah, so we've got some a bit of pretty diverse list of um, news items this week, haven't we, Mark? So I know I've got the list of as um, myself going first, but do you mind taking one of your articles um, as the first item? Though? Not
0: at all, Brendan. I was going to um, talk about the uh, the the um, feathers furs uh, article. I was quite when I first saw it. I thought, oh, this will be really really interesting. I it's a topic, um, you know, obviously. Uh, through work, the characteristics of feathers and fur play a significant role in the job that we do. And so it's often in my mind um, to ask the actual question. Now, I think this is a, um, an article from uh, The Conversation, and, and that's a website that I usually have a great deal of um, respect for. And so I was very excited about this uh, article. I've always wondered, why did mammals go the fur route? rather than adopting feathers. Um, and the only, it's an excellent article, Brendan. It goes into quite a little bit of historical, you know, uh, uh, evolutionary detail. Um, it goes into a lot of the physical characteristics of, uh, of the, those adnexal structures. Um, and it uh, gives a number of examples of uh, where, you know, they, the pattern that they form, you know, between the hairless, uh, the naked mole rat, um, the uh, uh, elephants, how they look essentially hairless, but in fact uh, covered in fine hair of, well, you know, hair of varying lengths and densities. Um, Yeah, there's a a whole range of very, very interesting facts. Um, The whole zebra one really caught me. I've been really trying to find that... uh, the original research which shows that um, the, the most likely explanation for zebras having developed black and white striped fur was to reduce insect attack and confuse biting flies. Um, so I love that little bit of information and we might have a talk about that another time. Um, but the problem with the article for me, Brendan is that it yes. doesn't answer the question it poses? <laughs> it posits a wonderful question, but it just does not deliver.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Uh,
1: well, I'm, uh, surprisingly enough, I agree <laughs> completely with your comments there, Mark. And when I first read this article, I thought, gee, this is quite an interesting and well-written article, but, um, yeah, the content doesn't quite match what the question it, it is it is posing. It's clickbait. Um, it's clear. Yes. <laughs> you love that word clickbait, don't you, Mark? Yes. But um, yeah, so I, I, I recommend um, our listeners do click over to vetgurus.com, Mark, and look at our show notes. And we will have a link to this um, article of clickbait.com. Bait, as Mark, um, uh, as Mark calls it, um, because I think it is a quite, um, fascinating article and, um, of interest, yes, um, but it, 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 yeah, I, I don't think it answered the question, why did mammals go the fur route rather than developing feathers? But, um, it, it, it also just talks about, um, the advantages and the, the ev- evolutionary advantages of, of having fur or feathers and, so it's had a few examples as you just mentioned mark so yeah um, I, I would be
0: interested in um, our uh, our listeners opinions but I sort of think that um, that there's it's just you know one of those evolutionary things where there's two solutions to the same problem and um, and evolutions popped up at a really, relatively early stage and and given examples of both and allowed them to develop I don't know that there really is a you know an answer as to one, the advantage of one over the other. Um, uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what our
1: listeners think, Brendan. Yes, send us an email and you'll get entry into our competition at the same time, so double value there, yes. Well, my first article is, is um, I, I pick out the important ones, Danmark, um, <laughs> and, and the um, not just controversial but the important ones, and um, you might be think I'm blowing smoke. Somewhere it shouldn't, but we're gonna talk I'm gonna talk about an inflatable veterinary field hospital, Mark. Um, an inflatable veterinary field hospital is being launched ahead of South Australia's fire season, believe it or not. And this is a true story. It is not a it is not a um, it is not a, um, it, is not a um, it is not a gimmick. It is not clickbait, Mark. And this is a thirty thousand dollar inflatable veterinary hospital that um, will will be um the, the, the supposed advantage of it is, is the obvious fact that you can inflate it within about ten minutes, supposedly. And if you have a look at the pictures in this article, Mark, if you haven't already seen it, it is literally just a, a tent with these inflatable ribs on the inside, and they connect up a little compressor to it, um, a bit like the old jump in castle. or jump in, jump in,
0: It's a little bit more than just. No, it's a topic. house because you know, after, after, other.
1: after they've treated the animals in this, so I bet you they, they, they'll, be, they'll be renting it out to the kids <laughs> for $2 a pop to go in there and jump around and play with a stethoscope and, you know, bounce around there a bit, you know. So that'll help pay off the $30,000 cost for the thing, you know. My other concern, my only other concern with this one is, you know, it's an inflatable veterinary hospital that's obviously just they're pumping air, I presume, and and nothing else in there. And yet they're going to inflate this during fire season <laughs> um, um, when when they're um, triaging um, burnt animals um, during bushfire season in South Australia. So it may be a bit of a recipe for a problem or a disaster there, Mark. Um, yeah. And especially, as you know, when we have our fires here in Australia, they are, can be pretty devastating fires. And And usually they're accompanied by those high winds as well, Mark. So, you know, I think every veterinarian and and technician or nurse who works within the inflatable jump in veterinary castle hospital needs to have a little backpack that has a um, has a little parachute on it mark in case they get blown up in the air and then they can quickly um pull the parachute as they're heading down again I know, I as they've been flying away I know, so i know you um,
0: wouldn't want to be in the castle after i'd nailed the pegs holding it down
1: <laughs> that's right yes but but an amazing concept and yes um Fraught with difficulties, I think, and um, I think they're living on the edge with this one. Um, but um, congratulations to whoever um, approved it. And um, have you have you it, ever you know,
0: had any work? To, that one of the things that's been really we've had a not as extensive, I suppose, as the fires you guys get around Mel, but, but we've had a couple of fairly serious ones. And the really depressing things about them is that um, not not you know they're, they're talk, not much makes it. Um, the really awful thing is those fires go through and, and the rescuers race in and, and turn burning stumps over and pretty much just find charred remains of animals rather than things that you can put in your um, inflatable veterinary hospital and, and, and try and recover. I,
1: yeah, I don't know. Yes.
0: I don't know how useful it's going to be, Brendan.
1: Exactly, that's 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 my point, and you know I think maybe they should have a, a little sprinkler system around <laughs> it as well, just as a bit of a safety measure there. But um, but um, quite a, yeah, it, it tickled my fancy as you can tell. Um, this this little article, but it is a true a true um, thirty thousand dollar inflatable veterinary hospital that can be put up in in ten minutes and and blow away in two minutes, Mark. So that's my first little article. What's your second one? My ones are well. It's it's a bit quirky, Brendan. It's
0: um, uh, and I was surprised at some of the history behind this because um, one of the people I follow on Twitter. Um, is a, a museum worker in Britain, and he mentioned, and I thought it was a joke at the time. He mentioned that he spotted a beluga whale in the Thames, and he was seeing it every day on the way to work. Um, and this article from the New Daily um, highlights the fact that the the uh, very rare Arctic whale has um has been in the uh, Thames River for a couple of weeks now, and um, seems to be uh feeding around barges near the Gravesend area in Kent, which, geez, I know global warming's changing the patterns in the ocean and the temperature signals and whatnot, but still you would think that um, that's like a major navigational error by anyone's measure. Um, the Whale and Dolphin Conservation Society quite insightfully Uh, suggested that he was obviously very lost and quite possibly in trouble. hope A lot of thought went into that press release, obviously. (laughs)
1: Um, I just hope it makes it out again um, from there, Mark, yes. Um, Well, interestingly enough,
0: the the, um, article concludes that um, – You know, the last time a beluga whale was seen in Britain was in 2015. So I would have thought that belugas in Britain would be like, you know, a very rare event. But apparently once every two or three years, one pops up around the coast and once every little while, they get really confused and end up in the Thames.
1: Yes. So that's something for for our UK listeners, Mark, um, to go Luga whale spotting in the thames <laughs> it's not something you do every day is it yes uh, well my second and last news article is 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 potentially good little discovery there and that's the 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 um, deadly australian funnel web spiders can also kill melanoma cancer cells a study has shown and this is from was it that i've picked this from ABC News in Australia, but um, it has been reported on a few of the the news um, news sites. Mark and um, they've managed to extract a um, peptide um, that they've found from the this particular funnel web spider species um, that is better at killing melanoma cancer cells and stopping them from spreading and um then then a a similar compound or a, or a related compound that they found from a brazilian spider mark um that um was effective but they found that this particular um peptide from the this um darling downs or Toowoomba funnel web spider mark has been even more effective and they've even done a, a little trial to show that the Australian spider peptide killed the devil facial tumor disease cells as well. Mark, and that this was a bit that piqued my interest, and that I thought it was um, um, of, of, of relevance to us um, who are interested in wildlife and wildlife diseases. So um, you know, it's still very very early days with it, but um, you know, potentially this could be something that could help um, help um, arrest or, or stop or cure the, the contagious transmissible cancer that. Um, Tasmanian um tasmanian devils uh, are experiencing mark so yeah I found it was quite an interesting one, so the old you know the all these all these um Products or compounds, these natural compounds, Mark. The people are, are constantly trying to um, test and 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 study to to see what value they can have, and um, yeah. So it's a, I think it's a bit of an exciting one. So good on them. I reckon you're the and, um, Once again, I know it comes
0: as a complete surprise, but I agree entirely with you, Brendan. I think it's an awesome story, and uh, particularly for um, uh, devil facial tumor disease, which seems to be one of those things that. Um, that we haven't, you know, there's been some progress, but we haven't really made a, a massive dent in in the um, in the you know field experience. Um, the uh, devils in the wild are still uh, contracting the disease, so something that uh, treats it would be just excellent. And it points to the fact too that so much um, of conservation, so much of trying to maintain the species that we have, could have indirect benefits for us that we aren't even aware of um, yet who who in 20 years time will be um, looking back going of course we knew that uh, melanoma treatments we're going to take a quantum leap forward once we did research on the darling downs funnel where but you just have to let these things go and hang on to the species so that the proteins the poisons the other chemicals they make we can research them and find out what they can do for us brendan
1: Exactly, and um, yeah, well done to Dr. Maria Iconomopoulou and um, all her team. So fantastic, yeah. So I wish I, I, had, the, I, wish
0: I had the time to practice the pronunciations mm-hmm. like you. <laughs> I
1: practice. I practiced that um, her surname um, just as you were speaking, <laughs> Mark. So yeah, and I nailed it. I must have. <laughs> yeah, you, did, you knocked
0: it out of the park.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's jump into our um, our main. Our main item and our main topic this week, Mark, and it's something. Well, we've we're mainly pitching this at our veterinary nurses or technicians, um, and especially those who are new to the the veterinary field. And um, we're going to walk through um how to deal with the patient from the from the moment it um, is on the end of the phone um, when the client rings up about booking an animal in to discharging that patient from day surgery mark and um, our little tips and tricks and um, we could go on all all day and all night with this one couldn't we mark but we're gonna highlight some of the you know some of the things that you and I have have managed to stuff up over the years that we've've we've, we've learned about and we've um, and, and little tips tips and tricks that we found that work quite well in in order to provide a, a good experience for the for the client. So um and and um so our customer service type tips and tricks, Mark, and um, and also to um, help look after that patient uh, even better than just the obvious medical and surgical treatment that we hopefully we will be providing at a high standard mark. So so that's what we're going to do. So I'm gonna dump you in the start of it Mark and you can um lead off with um, the um, the initial contact so you know do you want to chat about what 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 you think would be ideal and, and some of your tips about when when somebody phones up to the vet clinic and says hey, Hey, um, Sugarloaf Animal Hospital, um, I have a, a um, an animal regardless of what species and, um, you know, what are the key things you need to sort of say to that person to get them into the clinic and to convince them or at least um, explain to them that, hey, we, we know what we're doing and we'd love to see your animal?
0: Well, that's a great question, Brendan. And I really, before I talk about it, I really... Um, I have to, you know, my chest swells a little bit when I talk about this topic because I think our uh, support staff, our receptionists and veterinary nurses do this so well and they're always striving to do it a little bit better um, but they've, um, I think it's easy for me to talk about. So often you dump me in a, a, with a question that, um, you know, I'm struggling to answer from the moment you frame it Um, but this one, no drama. Um, so the key thing, I suppose, is that um, so much effort from each of our practices goes into getting people to call um, that we really need to see it as a valuable uh, step that's not to be wasted. Once we actually get people to to talk to us on the phone, um, we do need to use appropriate phone um, courtesies. We need to identify ourselves. We, uh, you know... Um, it's Mark Simpson here from the Sugarloaf Animal Hospital. Um, uh, how can I help you today? What's the nature of your problem? I'm trying to get to those things as quickly as possible, even as simple as making sure that phone is answered on the third ring. Yeah, Everyone should know that phone calls answered before the third ring make clients anxious that uh, they're coming to a practice that's not appropriately busy. Um, phone calls that are left to ring out well past 3 Uh, Give people the impression that you don't care enough to answer the phone promptly. So get on to that call as soon as it gets to the third ring. Um, And then there's a little bit of an art to quickly, it's a bit of a balancing act, Brendan. You've got to um, uh, not waste time on the phone. You don't want to spend a consult on the phone solving someone's problem. You want to get the staff to identify the nature of the problem and then Um, express their understanding of it in a few brief sentences and emphasise how important it is that uh, that problem is assessed by a veterinarian. Um, And that should lead fairly quickly, uh, one hopes, within three or four minutes to the making of an appointment. Um, and, And that's the general sort of tactic we try. It's not a universal thing. We don't get an appointment out of every phone call. And those ones that we don't, where people are phone shopping, Then, what we try and do there is um, use maybe a little bit of a turn of phrase where we might say something along the lines of, Well, we know that you're going to phone around. That's the right thing to do. You want to get the opinion of several practices. But um, look, you'll find that we're not the cheapest. um, uh, We're not the least expensive. And so we want to prepare you for that. But we've got some information about your, some general information about your topic that we'd like to send to you um, and just grab some. Some um, um, you know a phone number and, and an email address, and uh, send them some stuff. If we can't get them to make an appointment, and even if that doesn't uh, initially make a difference, it's often a thing that several years down the track, when they have a problem again, they go, "Well, that was the practice that went that little bit further," and we end up getting them later on.
1: Yes, and I think it's exactly the the concept that you're chatting about there is it's you know it's that whole empathy and 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 trying to be honest about things and say look we 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 care about these animals that come in and we care about the clients that come in because we only encourage the good clients and and maybe on another episode we'll talk about um um, our, our process with with the with dealing with the clients that just don't fit with our practice, and you know, like, and we have mentioned this a couple of times in previous podcasts, haven't we, Mark? That sometimes people don't get on, personality clashes, that the style of the practice compare with what the 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 um, the client um, expects, etc. So, um like, sometimes like things I, don't work, like you and I, Brendan. Yeah, that's right. So, but it's, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, and I, and I think it's, yeah, part of it is you, you are running a business and, and, and it's, it's, Part of it is, um, you know, um, trying to get more business, and, and which is which is uh, um, not unexpected. It's what you want to do. You want to um, see animals, and you want to be able to pay the bills and, and pay the staff and earn a living. So part of it is that, but I think it's balancing that with with not being being. Um, over the top with trying to sell things and, and and saying, look, come in and um and come in before we tell you anything at all. Um and the balance between getting caught on the phone and, and and you and I both know that's quite tricky, um, not just with the vets, but certainly with the reception nurses as well, when we have practices that deal with Unusual pets, and 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 often it's a client um, or a potential client that we haven't seen before that will have a hundred and one questions, Mark. Won't they? That they want to talk about, for instance, if they have a, a a new rabbit owner, and they want to ask everything from what do I feed my rabbit to to desexings to vaccinations to enclosure setup and cleaning, etc. And the the difficulty there is, and and what I tend to say to my my staff, Mark, is try not to answer. The first question, because if you answer the first question, you're going to be there a half an hour later still answering question number 101, and at the end of that half an hour, the um, potential client will say, "Oh, thanks for all that information," and and hang up the phone, and, and they never become a, a um, client at the practice, and and you never get to assess their animal and um, to do the preventative health aspects on it, um, and you've wasted half an hour of, of of the the clinic's time and and the um, and the um, and the of staff time. So I think it's a balance between you want to give them information and it's not not that we don't want to give, that we don't give free information out, um, we do, but it's a balance between, hey, look, we want to build up a bond between the client and the patient and the clinic and the staff and um, we want that person to be able to trust us, um, that when something if something goes wrong with that particular animal we can we're there and they'll trust us not to overservice and to do the right thing by the patient and to be honest and to say look this particular problem with your animal is is out of our expertise and we'll send you on to somebody else. Or that, hey, it's end of lifetime now and we need to start thinking about putting your animal down and and having that trust built up over time. Um, and the rest falls to the background, doesn't it, Mark, things like costs and all that sort of thing, you know. And, that, and I think it's the same with most things, you know. Yeah, there are some things that... You just want the cheapest and the quickest um, solution to things. But I think the things that we always remember um, are the other times when we're, we're purchasing something or, or a great customer experience where somebody just went that little bit extra um, to 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 explain something to you um, and you remember that you know and it costs them nothing financially to do it but you remember that little bit of effort that somebody goes in to to help you out and that's that's what you're trying to build isn't it most
0: it is the classic story we, we I've seen it happen at work where um, the staff have done an outstanding job they've they've provided a new rabbit owner with the the um, you know, the Oxbow Timothy hay and some instructions booked in the appointment and then they've opened the door to help them get the uh, rather large bale of hay out to the car and that, you know, that's the the extra step. If the person's carrying a big package and they're struggling to get out the door and someone's just standing there, they, they remember that. Um, and, uh, yeah, those little, like you said, they don't cost anything. They uh, leave it... They, Attention to detail. The going that extra step, doing that one or two extra things, will make a huge difference to the way the practice is perceived. So, Brendan, what do you um, what do you get your staff to do to convert the, the, the once you've got that appointment? What sort of information do you try to get from the person on the phone, um, and what? How, are there other ways to get that sort of signalment, initial history information? Is there tricks that you have to um, to get that sort of information before the consult?
1: Well, as well, there's a cu- couple couple of things I'd say in answer to that, Mark. And, and going back one step, I, I suppose the other thing we need to we need to stress, especially for new um, technicians or nurses, is 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 making sure that they differentiate the true um, unwell animal um, with that initial phone call as well, and especially the the more than unwell, the, the 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 potentially critically ill animal, and that's where some of that comes with experience, doesn't it? Especially with the with the um, the unusual pets and the more um, more more number of species that we see in our practices there. So, but it is something that we need to ensure that they are trained up to. To recognise that, hey, this animal needs seen fairly promptly, and um, then trying to fit it in, um, or heading it, um, get it to come straight down to the practice, or in 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 our practice because we aren't a, a huge practice, um, making sure that that um, client and that um, patient has other options, and if it's something that does need immediately. Being seen, Mark. For instance, if I'm in the middle of um, opening up an abdomen um, or a, some sort of cavity <laughs> in an animal, and um, I'm the only vet in the building, and there's an ob- uh, there's a phone call with an obvious emergency, um, then the the clients are immediately instructed to to go to a an appropriate either their their, their nearest neighbour in practice or uh, uh, the nearest um, practice that can deal with the species um, or has experience with the species, and and I, I'm I'm much more um, Comfortable with making sure that that patient gets seen promptly than the fact that we may be losing a potential client mark and i 'm sure you're the same and I really stress that to my clients and um or my, my my staff there mark and um you know the animal needs seen um that's the most important thing rather than that you know we we do get a new you, you do I'm sure um get clients that potential clients ring in from they may be a fair distance away they may be half an hour an hour away from our practice because um they've heard that we we're a reasonable practice we're dealing with that particular species and um if it's an emergency, then gee, the chances are that thing, that that particular patient may die on the way to to get into us, and they passed fifty practices on the way, and they, you know, the logical thing is that they need to drop into one of the other practices and have the animal assessed and mm-hmm. potentially stabilised before um, before potentially sending it on to our practice. So, so that's the first point. Although it was a bit of a. Prolonged um, answer to the first point there, Mark. And the, the other one, well, I've we lost the question now, but I think it was what what, what are the other methods of, of getting the information from the client or, or getting information to the client? And I think the thing you were hinting there is um, we point them towards our, our website Um and um, we have a link to, um, for the unusual pets, um, definitely we have a link to um, the history forms, um, which the client, a new client, would download a patient history form and they will fill that in ideally before they get to the practice and it just saves a bit of time for everybody. And it just does all the common questions that we ask, especially about the unusual pets, about um, husbandry, about diet and housing and lighting and feeding and heating and all those sorts of things, um, and it just makes the... The, um, the consultation go a lot smoother. And then um, I, I certainly read those before I call the client into the consultation, um, and that way we, we get a bit of a feel for whether the husbandry may be inadequate even before we've seen the animal and the patient. Um, if if that, Was that what you were hinting at? I wasn't at trying though? to lead you in that direction, Brent, <laughs> into- so yeah arrival and admission mark i I want to talk a little bit about the admission form and the process there but so perhaps before that if you you want to talk a little bit about um um what the client is is instructed over the phone a new client about um getting their patient to the clinic well the
0: critical things is that uh, we we like the animals to be securely housed. Um, there's nothing, even though it looked really good on um, what was that movie with G- Jim Carey, um, the pet detective, where he was standing in a room and all the animals landed on his shoulder and Um, when that's happening in the waiting room it's generally not as entertaining as it was in the movie and uh so we 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 sort of try and set and people do have a tendency if they're not instructed this way and sometimes even when they are instructed um they do have a tendency to show up and sort of set the animal free um there seems to be no predilection to this there'll there'll sometimes be a a woma wandering over the the uh, tiles they'll There'll, there'll sometimes be a macaw flapping around and um, and uh, occasional people seem to you know think this is a completely normal thing not realizing the stress to their own pet um, also the stress to um, other pets in the waiting room and uh, and obviously the stress to other, um, pet owners, and not to mention our reception staff. So that's the first thing we ask them. And, f- and f- sorry, like Mark, I
1: just interrupt for one sec. Funny you should um, mention that we have a, a very good client of ours who. Is a um, a rabbit owner, and um, she's had some quite complex um, medical and surgical cases um, with her with her rabbits, and ongoing. And I actually saw her again today, and uh, we didn't realise that I wasn't there the day it happened. But um, she was sat in the waiting room. She get, gets a little bit anxious, the owner. She's a lovely person, and um, there was a chicken, a, a chook, in in the waiting room that uh, another client had brought in, and. Um, The rabbit owner client has an absolute phobia about chickens and she had a full-on panic attack when um, this client was... um, um Showing her 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 prize um, chook to her in the waiting room, and um, she had a full on panic attack, and um, almost uh, went into complete meltdown. There, Mark. So we we ensure now we have a note on her file that um, she is chickenophobic, and um, any time she's booked in with her rabbits, we don't have any birds booked in around the um, consult time when she's <laughs> when she's due to come in, Mark. So, yeah. well, the
0: other thing too is that um, you know many of our uh, exotic pets particularly the reptiles benefit from um, thermal support uh, thermal management and um, and even if they've just traveled a relatively short distance and maybe have a relatively short wait in the waiting room that can be enough time to um, send their thermoregulatory mechanisms into disarray and um, and if they're sick already, that can complicate the picture considerably. So um, housing them in a secure container and s- establishing a, an appropriate thermal environment um, or, you know, similarly with our, our frog patients, we want them to have um, appropriate uh, uh, humidity or moisture so that they're not stressed. Um, all these things are um, uh, uh, give. Instructed the clients are instructed on these things before they arrive so that there's much less of a worry for them.
1: Yes, so it's having a secure um escape proof um enclosure for them but yeah I, I i as you mark i'm constantly amazed at how many clients especially with the unusual pets um love to just get their animal out in the waiting room and proudly show it off to all the other people in the waiting room and and um you often end up with absolute mayhem don't you um with with um with animals all over the place, so yeah, it's um, quite interesting. So, yeah, so they arrive safely, and then um, we do the consultation, and, and um, uh, we'll—I I think we'll skip over the. The other sort of obvious things, or the or the comments about you know making sure that the the, the waiting room and the consult rooms presentable, and we don't have anal gland smell floating around. Hopefully, um, the minute they walk in the door, um, um, I just yeah, I, I just mentioned before. I want to talk a little bit about the admission process, and um, you know, um, there's always some. There's always some, um, paperwork, isn't there, Mark? And, and, and I think most clinics now have a, a hospital admission form or, or one sort of variation, um, thereof, which, which sets out a little bit of the legal aspects of. The fact that the animal will be in for the day for its um, whatever surgery it's having, whether it's routine desexing or whatever, and that there are potential risks uh, of of any procedure, and um, that, that also, um, it also um, it puts down an estimate, a rough estimate. We always state Mark, and I am sure you probably do the same that that we're giving you an estimate. It's not a, not a quote; it's an estimate of of, of what we think the the overall procedure will cost and we always have a range there and there is a a sentence in the form that that, that spells out the fact that this is an estimate only and we'll try and contact you if if we find other things while... um, while we're in there doing the surgery, that that might adjust the the, the price in for that particular animal, and we try and stress that with them. Um, and I go through the admission form um, for routine admission forms, so the um, the, the nurses um, will do that um, for them. And you know, um, people get um, obviously a bit anxious about this sort of thing, and you know, the obvious one that we always get a comment on. Um, you know, um, with any animal that's undergoing sedation or anaesthesia, is you know, will my animal die? And that's an, an obvious thing that you'd you'd be concerned about with your pet. And and um, it's it's I think just being careful about explaining things calmly and quietly. I, I try to inject a bit of humour sometimes. It doesn't work, but sometimes it does um, with them. And um, I always like to quote the prophet Arnold Mark. Um, Do you know my um, my my theory about the prophet Arnold? I used to call him Professor Arnold, but now I call him the Prophet Arnold. So I'm talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mark, and um, you know I think he's a bit of a prophet because he's got so many fantastic sentences and one-liners that we can use in veterinary medicine. That um, I use them all the time, Mark. So you know, including the admission forms in vision. You know, so if I get a client asking me saying, look, I'm worried about little Fido, um, about the anaesthesia and, you know, is there any risk with anaesthesia and surgery with, with Fido? I'll, I'll just quote Arnie, Mark, and I'll just say, if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> I
0: thought you were going to say that.
1: And, you know, which, which, which explains it quite well, you know, if we're going to do um, surgery on something, if, if anything that is anaesthetised, the, the only the only safe anaesthetic is not having an anaesthetic, is what I usually say to clients. That's it. Um,
0: and I've got to say, um, Brendan, but- you, you know my experience with uh, the uh, veterinary board, and um, and I can tell you that uh, that um, without sort of like dealing with specific issues or complaints, the 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 um, the, the consent form, the admission form. Um, is a, it yes. is a document that does resolve a significant number of concerns if it's used well, filled out. And it does carry weight, uh, yes. A significant yes. amount of weight. And so uh, it, and I definitely am privy to circumstances where there have been excellent forms which have just not been filled out um, and it casts the whole process into... Um, into a bit of a murky area, whereas if they are filled out and the clients have signed at the bottom and all the boxes are ticked, the appropriate ones, um, that's a very, very strong um, corroborating piece of evidence in the circumstances where there is a disagreement. But what you say saying yes. is, um, is so true, Brendan. I think um, that you do need to maybe... I, I need to up my game because I do use a few irony quotes but obviously not as... As assiduously as you
1: do, he's he's got hundreds <laughs> that apply to veterinary medicine, Mark. And they, you know, if there's a book if in
0: if it. Cli- to be honest with you, Breton, I think there's
1: a. And if if the if the clients are standing there and 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 tossing up whether or not to admit that patient for for a standard procedure, and it, it, it's apparently healthy and it's had the pre anesthetic checks and it's still healthy, according to the pre anesthetic checks. Um, you know, I'll just keep quoting Arnie and I'll say, do it, do it now, you know, to sign the form and come with me if you want to live. You know, I'll just, I'll just keep quoting Arnie. I'll just keep quoting Arnie. And even when that you, even, even when you get the results back from pathology, you can quote Arnie, you know, it's not a tumor and all of his quotes, you know, then, um, I reckon he's got about 150 of them that you can use and I only use about 20 or so of them with them. But I, I must admit you do have to pick the client that you use an Arnie quote with. Um, in case some, um, you end up getting just a, a, a blank look from them, or they quickly run out the door. Um, but yes, the prophet Arnie, the prophet Arnold, Mark. Um, don't don't underestimate um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, is all I would say, Mark. Yes. So yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, I think it's it's um, been a little bit more serious. I, I think it's just. Being honest with things with the client with their mission form, mark and, and going over it um, calmly and gently and 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 I try not to pressure them and I say and, and if they if they are sitting there or standing there and, and thinking well I'm a bit worried that it is a, it, this may be a risky operation for my particular animal um, I will then say to them look go home you know if if it's not critical to potentially do the surgery today if it's life-threatening, go home, have a chat with the family and and let's rebook, um, you know, things. um, Come back in and and we can discuss it again. So I I try not to pressure them and, you know, the the decision's ultimately up to them um, unless it's a a welfare issue where we might be doing something like euthanasia an animal that needs euthanizing and and I I put it back on the client but I try and inform them as best I can and, and try and explain it in plain language or, or any language um the risks and the benefits of, of doing that particular thing but yes an omission form is is essential isn't it Mark you,
0: you, one of the things you've said there is so so important I think for those non for, for those elective procedures, the desexing, order, if we do get someone at the, the stage of admission and they have the doubts, then it is good to give them some time. But, but I also have a turn of phrase. I can't tell you that it's an Arnie quote, but um, when people might have um, you know a, an animal that has a disease process, um, then I suggest to people that, in my opinion... Um, the risk of doing the anaesthetic is real, and we may have an animal that passes away, but the risk of not doing the anaesthetic is greater. Um, And so it's my professional opinion that we should go ahead with the procedure because on balance there is less risk with that than not trying to treat this disease. Um, And I find that a useful way to explain to people that there's still a risk, but we're trying to choose the least risky pathway. Yes,
1: yes, and that's a fantastic way of explaining it. Yes, so I'll use that one. It's a it's a Mark quote that I'll be um, the prophet Mark um, instead. So when the animal is um, admitted and um, you are settling the animal in, Mark, what's what's a couple of the key points or, or tips that you that you recommend, um, especially for new new veterinary nurses or technicians, about setting the animal up? Well, I
0: think I'm, uh, trying to do things, it's the, it's the old adage about, um, I can't even remember the turn of phrase, but it's the one where, you know, you go fast by not going too fast. Um, you've got to, like, take your time a little bit, allow the animal to settle, give it its space, allow it to um, come to whatever uh, equilibrium it needs to, um, and, uh, and then... Um, make sure that it's in an enclosure that it's away from uh, predators don't put the rabbits next to the cats don't put the the uh, the rats next to the uh, pythons Um, make sure that uh, you are taking care particularly of the environment the odors in the environment that they might not necessarily have the visual cues of the predator but um, they will be able to sense that they're about, and uh, that will be an additional stress and trigger of adrenaline. And, and we know that that has an effect on anesthesia. Um, making sure that there's hides in the, the, um, the enclosure for the animals to, to feel secure, the, just a box. We often, it's one of the most amazing things about getting our uh, rabbits admitted. Um, that if we place a box in there, um, they almost invariably hop into it and just poke their head out to have a look. Um, and so uh, providing some form of uh, a refuge um, that can lower their stress levels and make them feel more protected before they're given a gentle pre-medication and, uh, and the drugs can accentuate that calm sensation they have before they have any surgery. You're not with the bred I've cut off suddenly, and this happens every once in a while. No, it's
1: I'm here, I'm here. Yes, no, I can't agree um, any any more completely with that, Mark. Yeah, so it's been it's been confident and and calm, and and um, treat the animal with respect, isn't it? I think and, you put treated it, yellow. treat it as your own pet is 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 the way. Um, I try and keep saying to myself, even if it's an animal trying to rip my throat out, (laughs) um, um, it can be a bit of a challenge there. But it's it's trying to treat the animal with a bit of respect and think, gee, if this was my animal, how would I want it to be cared for? And... um, Well, it's a bit sad that you, you know, um, you may have to keep reminding yourself to say that, but it is important because it can end up just being a bit of a production line if you're not careful and you need to, you need to step back a little bit and think, gee, you know, we're dealing with a a creature here that we need to provide respect and care, Mark. And I think if that's, if that's done along the whole line from the, the second that animal comes in the clinic to it goes home in a, in a, um, in a, um, in a um, cremation jar, Mark, it, um, it's it's looked after carefully, um, it's and, and, and respectfully, yeah, and um, yeah, those simple things like covering, you know, having having a little hide for that animal, or if it's a dog or a cat that looks a little bit distressed and, it, and it's um. Um, looks scared as, it, as it's looking out from its little um, bank of cages put a towel over the cage all those little simple things The
0: pheromones that, that, been, Brendan. with the, you know we're don't we're not lucky enough to have those for um, our exotic pets but um, for dogs and cats there is yes. an excellent additional you know old factory flavor that um, there's not going to be a magic switch that changes things dramatically but just takes the the um, you know that well, that level of anxiety down a tiny notch and makes things a little bit easier.
1: Yes, and it's the same process then when we get to that surgery period as well. So we sort of quickly skip over that, and that's um, you know make having everything ready and having a team there um, of the anaesthetists and the and these surgeons and the. And the um, support staff that are all ready to go. Um, So when that animal's um, gently carried out of the cage um, region or the the kennel room, um, um, everything's ready to go. And it's anaesthetised swiftly and um, gently. And um, it's a nice induction and... um, then being really careful with the recovery there, Mark. And I think that, that there's increasingly, there's a, there's an emphasis, isn't there? Especially with the exotic pets, um, with, with watching the animals during that immediately, immediate post operative, um, anesthetic, um, period. So immediately after they've woken up from the anesthesia and they've been taken off the anesthetic machine, I think that's a critical time, isn't it, Mark? Especially for some of the, some of the patients that we worry about, um, with an increased potential, um, um, morbidity or mortality ratio so those um rabbits for instance that that's the period where we have to watch them even more closely and, um, and, and we'll often have our birds we'll often ha- oh yeah we'll often. yes yes exactly we'll ha- is that one of our cats in it the background is laura, just um trying to get her 15 minutes of fame on the podcast <laughs> hello laura so um Yes, so it's been um, it's been careful and ensuring that the staff know their know their particular jobs for that particular patient, and always having the the animals that are undergoing the surgical procedure and recovering from anaesthesia or, or during anaesthesia, they're they're the priority over that over that phone call. Despite the fact that you might be trying to answer that phone um, on that third ring mark, if if we have an animal under an anaesthesia and everybody's under the pump, then then the, the last thing we'll be doing is then that's fine. we're concentrating on that animal in front of us
0: you're exactly right brendan and the the um we've got a, a couple of um i suppose sayings that help us reinforce all those things you've been saying the first one is that um whether it you know what what a, the right thing to do is the right thing for the animal and um all the other things flow from that so if um, if it means watching the animal and letting the the phone ring beyond the required three rings, then that's just the way it has to be because the best things happen when we do the best thing for that animal that's in front of us. And I like um, your treat them as your own pet rule, and I, I don't think it's a um, it's a, a a bad thing to emphasise. <laughs> One of my great friends and colleagues, Dr David Tabrett, who's the um, CEO of ARAC, our emergency hospital here in Newcastle, used to work with me, um, David had Oscar's rule. Um, he had a, uh, uh, a pet of his own, Oscar, and his rule was that he wanted every pet that uh, we came into contact to be treated as Oscar would be treated. And so Oscar's rule became a bit of a, a practice um, motto. Um, and I think it yes. uh, it
1: um, it's
0: summarises what you were saying, treat them as your own um, with with respect and care.
1: And I think um, just while I remember, Matt, one of the other sort of it's almost like a customer service tip and and a little extra that you can go to that will help that that make the clients think, gee, you you guys are on the, ball and you do do, it, do a good job and you're looking after my little little animal. We usually, when, when the animal is admitted, we ask the client to call back at a certain time. For instance, if it's a routine desexing, we might say, phone at 2pm and um, we'll see how your animal's going. And we, we tentatively really have a discharge time already booked in, but give us a call at Two in the afternoon, for instance, but but invariably we always try and call them before that time. So uh, and often immediately after the the surgery, once it's back in the the um, recovery enclosure, then we would be phoning or one of the nurses phoning and saying, "Look, come, um, Fido's um, or Oscar, Oscar is um, awake. The surgery went well, and um, all's good. And we just thought we'd give you a call because um, he's just woken up, and um, they really appreciate appreciate that being pro with that type of thing, Mark. And I think it's just going that little extra step and 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 again, you know, it's something that if if I was sat at home worrying about um worrying about um one of my pets or 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 members of the family and a member from the hospital phoned up and said, Oh, I'll just let you know you're your daughter or your wife has come through the surgery, okay, then, um, you know, um, thank you. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm relieved. And yeah. I think that you've hit the
0: nail on the head there, though. One of the things that we have to be very careful about um, is that people get so ex- – well, our staff get so excited about doing this stuff that they might inadvertently every once in a while say, oh, look, we'll call you when an animal is in recovery. Um, and then if that call doesn't happen, if the client's expectations – are not managed well and then not met. That can cause more problems than not. But as you described, asking them to call at a particular time in the afternoon and then speaking to them before that—that's uh, exceeding the expectations that you've managed, and that's the best way to go.
1: Yes, and I'd I'd always relate that back mark to um, one of the times Annie, my wife, had had. Um, One of her surgeries, um, she's had major neurosurgery, as as you know, and um, during one of the first surgeries she had, um, which was very prolonged surgery, it was a a four-and-a-half-hour surgical procedure of neurosurgery, and... um, I, w- um, the, the assistant surgeon, um, neurosurgeon, um, said he would, or he or she, she ended up phoning me. Um, um, they said they would phone her as soon as she was out in, in recovery um, from theatre. And I was walking the streets um, for, for those several hours waiting for the phone call and, um, the hours kept ticking by, Mark. I don't know whether I've told you this story, and um, I was not getting any phone call. And um, the surgery went well, um, but she was bumped to um, be the second surgery of the day instead of the first um, because a, a more um, a more critical um, brain tumour surgery came through, and um yeah, I was a mess, you know, thinking that, oh, what's gone wrong? She must still be in surgery. Is she dead? <laughs> and, um, you know, just and, – and I always relate back to that as far as, you know, if, even if it's a routine, you know, castration on a cat or a dog, you know, for the owner it's not routine. For the patient it's not routine. Um, it's, it's a major surgery. So I, I think it's important to – to, to always go back to you know if this was my pet and um, you know this is their only pet they've never had a dog or a cat or whatever and this is coming in for its surgery you need to step back a minute and yeah it's routine for the for our staff but for the for the patient and for that um, family it's not routine so giving them the call as soon as practical um, once it's out of the out of the um surgery room and anesthesia, then I think it's a good thing to do. And, um, you know, if that ends up being a couple of hours before you originally told them to phone back, then it just takes the pressure on them and they you hear this, you know, big sigh on the end of the phone and, th- um, and they realise that their animal's through the surgery and everything's all good. So let's um, – do you want to chat about the discharge, the actual discharge um, for these day patients, Mark? What, what's, your, what's your tips and tricks and, um, you know, that little extra mile you can go with um, putting a smile on the face of the um, the animal and the well, client? Well, I
0: think it's, uh, you know, probably in line with the rest of this stuff. It's a, a lot of um, – a uh, little bit of preparation, a little bit of um, – uh, Advance uh, planning, and then just a little bit of um, uh, thought, I suppose. The, the key thing, I suppose, is um, when you have that appointment is to make sure the, the uh, patient is adequately prepared so that any catheters or bandages or um, whatever are, are removed and um, any blood splatter. I know that doesn't happen in your surgery, Brendan, but um, when I've cut them, I'll often be, you know, drenched fairly thoroughly in blood, and so getting that washed away so that it's not distressing. If there's some um, changes to the, you know, that might be disfiguring, it's always, I find one of the things um, in uh, surgeries where, for example, you and I do a lot of the the um, uh, um, surgeries the on rabbits, uh, Dental
1: masipilisation exactly
0: the word I was looking for. And those procedures can be very confronting, even if they've been very well described before. And so having a photograph of the result and showing people before they actually see their animal can j- just, um, I don't know, grade it up for them, as it were, rather than shocking them all in one go. Um, so things like that, having a, um, a written list of instructions, making sure that, the discharge instructions, when the progress exam is due, what to do with the wound, those things. People don't take in verbal instructions at that very emotional time of uh, repatriating the pet with their owner. And so having those instructions written down. Um, for the routine things, we're probably like you, Brendan, our, our support staff are very good at uh, delivering um, you know, for routine uh, D-sexes or those sorts of things. Um, the nursing staff are really good at uh, the procedure and we generally have the vets do the discharge for the more complex um, things that might require a, a question out of left field to be answered um, and uh, and so the vets might be in a better position just to um, have those answers at hand. Um,
1: Yes, well, we're the same as same same as as you there, Mark. In that, for those routine ones, it's usually the nurses, and for more of the complex ones, the vets. Although, I must say, even with the routine ones, um, as as long as I'm not running around like a headless chook, if 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 a routine animal's been discharged by the nurse, I do try and somewhere on the um, process um, pop my head in the room, or as as the client's heading out the door, and and wave to them and say and and confirm with them that it all went well and, and say hello and, and good to see you and we'll see you at the post-operative op- check. So again, it's another another little additional thing in that they're told for the routine um, procedures that a nurse will discharge or, or a vet tech will discharge the um, patient and yet um, the surgeon will also potentially um, say hello as well. So it's a little added bonus for them and I think some people appreciate that when they um, end up seeing me poke my head around although some people when they see me poking my head around the collar they're quite horrified <laughs> so yes so there we go and the other thing we do Mark and I think I, I probably cut you off again as usual is um, um, for some of the um, patients the dogs and the cats and that um, um, where it's appropriate put in a little bandana on the collar of that animal and it's a simple easy um inexpensive thing to do and um, you know we've we've had a fair number of dogs and cats and other miscellaneous pets where we've sent an animal home with a bandana um, their little red badge of courage um, that they've gone home with and um, every time the animal comes into the clinic for the next 10 Get years it's still got a tattered bandana tied on the tied on the um, collar and I'm sure yeah by the sound of it you've had the same and you know they I don't know so- sometimes they just pull it out every time they head to the vet and put it back on there. But other, others of them, it looks like it's been on for that whole 10 years and never been washed. Um, yeah, so I, I think they really, really appreciate that type of thing. And, then, yeah, the the, the the most horrific things are um, if, if things go wrong with that whole discharge thing because, yeah, like you mentioned about the blood-spattered the blood spattered, um, surgical field and um, that's where we meet need to constantly check and yes I must admit that occasionally we get ones that that slip through um rarely but that where we've we've checked the patient um regularly during the post-op period and when it's about to go home it does something silly and jumps around the cage with a rabbit or it decides to chew on its wound a little bit and uh, did that five minutes before discharge and the patient is discharged in the consult room and um The um, nurse or the vet lifts up the animal to show the surgical site and say, Yeah, here's how it should look. And there's some seeping blood there. (laughs) So, um, it's, um, it can be a bit tricky when you're dealing with those ones. So, yeah, so just making sure that, um, things are checked regularly and you explain everything. And, and and I, I do exactly like you mentioned there, Mark, with the photographs there and with those, um, more complex procedures that we're doing commonly like the marsupitalizations i i'll be showing them a picture of the marsupitalization process um, in the initial consultation um saying look your your animal has severe dental disease and we need to do a particular procedure and and it's a pretty brutal procedure as far as how it looks visually and this is what it looks like and i will show them a picture of it i'll say you're this isn't your rabbit, obviously, but this is what it will look like when it goes home. So I am prepping them at a really early stage, as far as um, you know, this is a post-operative look of your animal that looks a little bit disfigured. But here is, and then I'll show them the the, the the post-check of that other other rabbit that had the procedure done um, a month later with the with the marsupialized um, wound completely healed, and and explain to them that you know the whole aim is that if everything goes to plan, this is what it will look like a month down the track.
0: Yeah. And what about the post-op checks, Brendan? The, the, the uh, post-op, I've got actually changed here. was used to be um, of the school that um, we would uh, just charge as they come in, but we've lately found that um, it really works well if we, uh, um, you know, if we have uh, a procedure that we think we'll need to take some time with that, the progress exam, um, that we charge for that at the time of the procedure procedure. There's a couple of things that that helps with. Um, a few of the clients we get to deal with get uh, financed through VetPay or one of the other um, uh, finance companies and if it's all included in one thing um, then that certainly saves a lot of stuffing around later on um, but it also does seem to be um, a bit of a sticking point but if there's a problem and there's multiple progress exams, people cope but if there's just one progress exam they they often get quite worked up about that charge and so bundling it into the first charge seems to work well for us. For procedures where we're just, um, you know, maybe checking the wound and uh, making sure that the closure is good 10 or 14 days after the procedure, many of our nurses will do that um, and do an excellent job and for the more complicated uh, procedures, we're obviously getting the vet to have a look. Is that the way that you do it, Brendan?
1: Well, fairly similar in that, that for the routine um, procedures, it's a nurse um, recheck, and that's included as part of the the supposed package, although it's not specifically listed on that. But when when clients are, are phone shopping, for instance, we we, we we may be mentioning that for 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 a, a desex in um, estimate um, that that will include not only um, um, the surgery and and a veterinary check, and um, but also include the post operative check, and it also includes. Post- Post-operative um, analgesia for several days as well um, in the package price, um, which is sometimes added on with with um, separately in other places. But I must admit, I I haven't, and it's something we have spoken about before. The, the bundling of the the revisits or the progress exam um, in the initial. Estimate for the for the main surgery is something I should be doing more often, and I do do it occasionally. And I think I, I agree completely, and I should be doing it more because I, I agree totally with with you. I think that if it is bundled in that initial estimate, then it avoids that complication of if the animal is only seen once with a, with a vet check, and and you are spending time and effort um, examining the animal post operatively, um, and and therefore. Um, um, charging for it, um, 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 that um, that you're going to avoid the the issues of the client potentially saying, oh, why wasn't this included with, with the X dollars that I paid previously? So, yeah, I, I should be doing that more often, Mark, and um, um, following your lead. Well, I, I think um, well, we've gone over time as usual, Mark, haven't we? So maybe we should stop here. I knew this would be an interesting topic that um, we could um, talk about for a very long period of time. But hopefully, listeners and our subscribers, so if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Um, We like subscribers. And enter the competition, vetgurus at gmail.com, and we will be pulling out the winner next week and announcing the winner. So make sure you listen next week. And um, thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you all next week.